When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Connie. Hope you are too. Man, better than I deserve. Excited to be here with you today because it is WrestleMania season. WrestleMania is just about a week away. Of course, last week we talked about WrestleMania 12. Today we're going to be talking about WrestleMania 13. But before we get into it, we should talk about WrestleMania 18. This past week, we put you and Mike Kyoto together and y'all revisited maybe one of the boys favorite matches ever Hollywood Hogan versus the rock from WrestleMania 18. What a special moment it was. And you got to relive some of that last week with Mike Kyoto over at adfreeshows.com. How was it? It was good. We had a lot of fun. Uh, Paul Boutwell did a hell of a job kind of being the point guard on that thing. And it was, it brought back great memories and uh, unique memories, no doubt. You know, was that you know, I, I said on the, on that, uh, which I'd encourage people to go check out. It's an hour long. So, you know, what the hell, uh, the match had a, had a, had a, more, had a what, I guess, politely say deliberate pace. Yeah. So some of the younger fans are gonna say it was too slow for them. And what they're trying to say is they didn't do any tope el suicidas or nothing. Right. You know, they left their feet a few times, but it's all logical. And, uh, you know, uh, I didn't know uh, Kyoto told me Hogan hurt his rib in that match. And, and uh, you could see Kyoto talking to Hogan from time to time to make sure he was going to be okay. But it was a fun show to do. It was a unique concept. And, uh, you know, you can tell how things have improved. The production's improved for WWE. The crowd shots were more prevalent and clearer now than they were then. So it, I think we didn't do a I don't think they did a great job of displaying how many people actually were there, you know, almost 70,000 folks. So it was, uh, it was good. It was, it was fun. I enjoyed it and, uh, very honored that I got a chance to be a part of that match, you know, just right place, right time thing. So it's good. I had fun. Well, and I know you're going to have some fun across the pond. We get asked this question all the time. Hey man, when are you guys coming to the UK? Hey man, when are you guys coming to the UK? <laughs> well, I'm proud to announce right now. That my goodness, it's finally happening. Jim Ross is coming back. He's yep. going to be there for the love of wrestling on April 23rd and April 24th. You can get all your ticket information on Twitter at FTLO wrestling, or just go right to the website, baby. It's for the love of wrestling.co.uk. That's for the love of wrestling.co.uk. And Jim, you got some rabid fans over there and you're going to see them April 23rd and April 24th. I'm looking forward to it, Conrad. You know, it's one of my favorite destinations to go to the UK. And, you know, I think uh, the fact that there's not too strong a language issue barrier, whatever is one of those reasons. People have always loved me there and I don't know why, but I sure do appreciate their support all these years. And, uh, you know, we used to go through, uh, this is going to be in, in uh, Liverpool. And, uh, as you said, and you know, there's, that's where the, the Beatles museum is and some other cool shit. So <clears throat> I'm uh, excited about the fact that we're going to 
go over there. I'm going to, I'm going to go by myself, which is dangerous. You know, take a crazy 70 year old and turn him loose. <laughs> so here we are, but to, in all seriousness, the, the lineup for that is when I, when I got the, when I got the request, first thing I asked, who's all, who else is booked just to see the scope of it. Does it have a chance of drawing a house, so to speak? And that's going to be di dictated by who all is going to be appearing. And man, it's a who's who, you know, I saw, I don't know who I know there's been some cancellations. You always get that from the boys, but, uh, it's got a, you know, I think the Steiners, the Dudleys were booked. I think one, one of them had to pull out, so they're not going to be there. Uh, Trish and Lita, I think, uh, Tori Wilson's going to be there. So already I'm happy, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I, I don't need any more of a list than that, but there's a lot of talent going to be there. And so it's, it seems like if you're a wrestling fan and you're, you have access to that part of the world, you know, I'm flying into Manchester and it's about a less than an hour's drive, I think from Manchester to Liverpool. So, uh, good opportunity for the fans to meet their meet uh, the folks they see on TV and if they followed all these years. And, uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun. Lillian Garcia is there. The nasty boys are there and they're still announcing folks. Really glad to see your name back on that list though. Uh, all the pros are going to be there. Don't miss it. It's April 23rd and April 24th for the love of wrestling.co.uk. But without further ado, man, let's get into it. I can't believe it's been 25 years since WrestleMania 13 and Jim, as far as my fandom goes, this was my first WrestleMania back. I had an on again, off again relationship with wrestling once upon a time, but man, I was knee deep here and, and what great stuff is happening in the company. It, things are moving very quickly coming off the final four pay-per-view in Chattanooga in February. And then the craziness of the whole Thursday, raw Thursday that we previously talked about Bret Hart's the world champion. Rocky Mavi is the intercontinental champion. The whole WrestleMania card has been shifted. Of course, the raw right after final four, I believe that was in Nashville. Sid wins the world title and, uh, man, we're off to the races. This is also the time where things are changing a little bit. We see a big meltdown right before WrestleMania 13 with Bret Hart. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about that, but as far as talent relations goes, when you've got. I don't know. It feels like a lot of stuff bubbling under the surface with Sean and Bret Hart. Is that something you're having to deal with already? Or does that not become more apparent until the summer? More apparent during the summer, but it was still an issue. It just made a lot of people uncomfortable Yeah, because, uh, both people had their camps, you know, Bret had a lot of, uh, a lot of support within the, the locker room. He was very well respected. Sean was respected as well, but I think in a different way, uh, at least that's my take on it, but it got worse as it went along as we, we know. And, but on this, uh, show, uh, this one, of the, this is one of the better pay-per-views, uh, WrestleManias that we had, I, I thought, uh, but because all of that match between, uh, Steve and, and Brett with uh, shamrock, the referee, I thought that was just a hell of a performance. It's very hard to pull off a double turn. Yes. Very hard. And sometimes you don't even realize that's what's happening until it evolves a little bit more. And that's kind of how it was for me. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, uh, I knew Brett was going to go over, but I didn't know how I didn't know when I didn't know with what. And so for me, that makes it a storytelling so much better because then I can just focus on what's on the monitor 
what's on the screen. And quite frankly, for any announcer, that's your, that's your money. Uh, uh, figure out how to follow the monitor and describe what you're, you're seeing, because that's what your audience is seeing. So if you want to connect with your audience and connect with them visually on, on your monitor. And, and that's what we, I did. That's how I've always worked. Uh, so it works for me. It might work for some of the other announcers that watch the show and listen to our podcast. So it was good, man. It was, uh, uh, no issues that I remember going into it. It seemed like everything was okay. Uh, but the, we saw the same thing at WrestleMania 18, uh, later on five years later, uh, a non quote unquote main event stole the show at WrestleMania 18. It was rock and Hogan at WrestleMania 13. It was Brett and Steve, uh, at least that's my take on it. You know, and the main event didn't, couldn't follow. I don't know what could have followed that damn match. To be honest with you, Nothing. any match you could book, you know, Nothing. so yeah, so you're, you're right. So it was all, you know, the, the Brett Sean stuff was still to come. We got, had that to look forward to. No doubt. When people talk about matches from 1997 or just all time at WrestleMania history, they talk about Austin and Brett here at 13 and we're going to get there, but boy, to say that things are going exactly as planned here in the company would not be accurate. Nitro is still firmly in the lead and they have been since the spring of 96 and we're in the middle of the 83 weeks run here. This is going to be a down WrestleMania as far as overall revenue and interest and pay-per-view buy rates and all that. So behind the scenes, Vince is thinking, maybe I need to make some changes. So you start to see the taping schedule where once upon a time, Monday night raw was taped like once a month and then they just roll them out. Now they're thinking, okay, we're going to have to switch that up. We'll go live on one Monday. And then the very next day we'll record another raw. We're going to have one in the can. So essentially we're going to be taping every other week sort of deal, but that means that's a new schedule for a lot of the guys too. Right. So you got to deal with that new touring schedule, if you will. But there's also a report in the observer that Vince is going to be taking himself off of commentary to handle the shows backstage and Jerry Lawler and yourself are going to become the main announcing duo. And boy, did you guys make magic, but this is the first time that that really happens where Vince removes himself. Were you surprised that the old man made that decision? Yeah, I kind of, because he had a lot of fun announcing. It seems like in a very stressful day, handling this various problems. And, you know, he, he would feel calls from the office. If there was a situation he needed to address, he didn't put the author. Well, he's at TV gets catching Wednesday or let's catch him when he gets back in town. I'll make an appointment or whatever. Uh, he took all everything as it came because he just, that's just his personality. That's handling. Uh, but I was a little surprised cause he had fun doing the announcing, uh, there, there, I thought his announcing was fine. Quite honestly, uh, it worked out. You know, I was never, I had never been the third guy that many times because for the last several years, I was the lead guy. It's like it is now in AEW. I'm used to being the lead guy and I am to a certain degree there. Uh, but you know, we're trying to get Excalibur up in that role. That's been the goal, you know, for, for, for a while. And I don't mind that. I don't mind passing the torch and, and, uh, and making him a big, have a bigger role. And then Tony, of course, so there's three of us. And here's the other issue that a lot of people don't even talk about. There are three play-by-play guys on that, on that AEW team. Yeah. There is a different mindset when you go into a live show, uh, depending on your role, there's a different mindset. So you prepare a little bit differently and, and, uh, all that. And it, so anyway, it was, uh, 
it was uh, uh, it's it's a, it's a strange balance, but uh, that was an opportunity that Lawler and I got, and we I'd like to think we ran with the ball. No doubt, I think that's uh, fair to say. Uh, let's talk about, uh, raw here. It's going to open with Brett versus Sid to start. Steve Austin does a run in to interrupt and delay it. And, um, you had been critical on commentary, uh, about the bait and switch stuff that was happening on the other channel. Of course, you're trying to get your little digs in at nitro, but it feels like this is, uh, maybe a little bit more of the same. It's actually delayed twice as it was teased at the beginning of the second hour. Uh, but Austin is going to attack Brett backstage. And now we're in the main event. So Sid gets the win. He gets the title. Brett's fourth title run ends after just one day. Um, and now the card for WrestleMania is essentially set. It's going to be Sid versus the undertaker for the WWF title, which right. is crazy to think this is really the first time the undertaker is getting a shot at the title at WrestleMania. And now we've got Brett and Austin in an I quit match. I think in hindsight, we look back and we kind of all remember one match more than the other in your mind, even though it wasn't going on last was Brett and Austin, the main event. Absolutely. Yeah, it was well in the, in hindsight, it really was because of the delivery of the match, Yes, the match quality of Brett Hart and Steve Austin and to sprinkle in a little Kenny Shamrock in there seemed to deliver a better in-ring product on that night than did Sid and undertaker. Uh, different style, two big giants, super heavyweight kind of guys, 300 pounders right at it. I'd suggest, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a different ball game, but I, I I'll always say the same thing I just said about rock and Hogan, that should have been the main event at WrestleMania 18. And this match we're talking about here right now, this, this, this moment to me was the main event at WrestleMania 13. So let me ask in hindsight, why do you think Vince went with undertaker Sid? Because we know how he felt about Bret Hart. Was he not yet sold on Stone Cold Steve Austin being a draw? Or uh, did he just feel like Taker deserved it? Or did he feel like, well, we got to have giants in the main event? Because that is something that, you know, Vince used to have the old airport test. That was a conversation. Uh, how does, yeah. you know, does he get people's attention when he comes through an airport? And how right. does it look on a poster and all that sort of thing? I'm not arguing that undertaker didn't deserve his moment. in The sun clearly he did, but yeah. in hindsight, why do you think Vince didn't think for whatever reason, Brett and Austin could close the show for the world title? Well, we, we, none of us knew that match was going to be as magnificent as it was. Right. Once you see it and let it all, and let it all soak in, uh, and you hear the commentary and you hear the stories being told and watch these guys do their magic then, uh, you have a whole different appreciation for that match. I uh, honestly, I knew it would be a good match. Uh, I just didn't know how we we're going to get out of it, which is good. That's good booking. I didn't ask. Uh, so I didn't know what the finish was going into it. And, uh, but I knew who was scheduled to go over and that was Brett. Uh, just didn't know how it was going to happen. Uh, so it's, it's just hard to sometimes predict these things. You know, it's like, well, Brett and Steve should go in last because you know, they're going to have the greatest match of the year. Well, we don't know that. Right. And I think the other thing about the, the other, the undertaker element was simply a taker deserves a main event shot at WrestleMania. Sure. Uh, to him having, he, he had not had the title on a zillion occasions. He was not a, you know, 34 time champion or whatever being facetious. 
So I think that was that that played into to the situation as well. And there's some uh, seasoning. Speaking of seasoning, uh, of uh, you know uh, the big guy thing. You know, uh, when those guys came to the ring, it was a pretty impressive, uh, introduction. Yeah. Two big giants and, uh, seven, you know, both right around that seven foot mark. So I think there's a lot of little things that play Conrad. I'm not avoiding your question. I think there are a lot of things that play. And if, if the, any, if we could foresee and tell, look at a crystal ball, then obviously you'd book, uh, you'd, you'd book this thing last the, the, I quit match and it'd be easy to do. You make it non-sanctioned. There wasn't a title at stake. So it's a, it's a match where the regular card ends, which would end with Taker and Sid, and then the lights go out. You know, the old, the old deal, the lights go out for, for a moment. They flip back on. Now we're going to resume the rest of the show, which is an unsanctioned contest. <laughs> we could have done that. And, uh, but you know, you think of all these ideas that are somewhat good or are bad or mediocre after the fact sometimes. And that's kind of what we're doing here. But it was, it turned out to be the main event in my, in my view. Speaking of a mediocre idea, D- razor and diesel. Well, the fake ones, they're finally dropped as characters. I guess the gimmick had, had well ran its course. Yeah. <laughs> How excited were you to shovel some dirt on that idea? Very happy. You know, you, uh, we, we, I didn't know what we were going to do with Rick Bogner, who was razor. God bless his soul. Uh, and, uh, but, but we all knew, you know, when I signed Kane, uh, out of OVW, uh, I knew that we have an educated, uh, reliable athlete, seven foot athlete. And then Glenn is of course, Glenn Jacobs, Kane has gone on to become a, the mayor of uh, Knox County, Tennessee. He's in politics. I, I hear he's doing a hell of a job and people like it. It's, uh, so he's. Uh, he's always out there. I, I follow him on Twitter. It's fun, fun follow. Uh, so, uh, so we, we knew that those, that, that Glenn had a long-term future. We weren't so sure about Bogner, uh, and he didn't have, he didn't have it at, outside the razor thing. In my opinion, he's passed on too. God bless him. So, uh, but I didn't like that deal to start with. I, I thought, I just thought we were wasting a lot of valuable television time on the billionaire Ted's and all that other shits. Just, it just. It just took the air out of this. When you, your show's rolling along and then you stop and do that, you got to restart. And we did it. We restarted every week that we did those damn things. And they took a tremendous amount of production time, uh, in pre-tapes, uh, to get those things done. They recorded them in Stanford as a rule at the TV studio, then edited it. And then here you go. I just never was a big fan of it, but I also it was, it was, I'm a traditionalist Conrad. I didn't see giving valuable TV time to the opposition. That's all we were doing at the end of the day. Right. And what do you, when you watch those vignettes, if you watched them when you were that back in the day, uh, you, what were you thinking about? Well, I, I'm sure you had WCW on your mind. Yeah. So why would you, the people that's whipping your ass every week? Why, why do you need that? Yeah. Why do you I draw attention think, to that? Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, that's what I thought about that thing, but I was glad that that, well, that thing had run its course. I wish it had run this course earlier, but, uh, not to be, but finally we got out of that shit. I didn't like it. I, I just, I don't think the fans liked it. I might be wrong, uh, but I just don't know the majority of the fans were enjoying that content. It seemed to be personal and it seemed to be, uh, on a negative 
impetus. In other words, it was an idea that was a negative idea that, that was more personal, like Vince is pissed off. And, uh, and that was his way of coping and, uh, defending his turf. I thought there were better ways to defend our turf by having better shows and giving, giving different guys breaks and putting some different people on top, like Austin, for example, and then rocking and rolling. Well, you're rocking and rolling with a new idea that boy, it got my attention, uh, here on raw, we would see Jerry Lawler cut a promo on ECW, basically inviting them to show up to a real wrestling show later in the show. Heyman would call in and say, ECW is going to be in the Manhattan arena for raw. Now, of course we know this is just going to be some fun creative, but it is a bit of a paradigm shift. Vince is going to give another promotion access to his valuable television airtime. This is long before ECW has a TV deal. They're still syndicated. They're a renegade, essentially underground league. And you're going to be featuring them in prime time live at the Manhattan center. Did you think Vince was losing it when you first heard that idea? No, not really. It's a different deal than the, uh, billionaire Ted thing at mindset, at the mindset of that, in my view, uh, the, we were, we were kind of cross-eyed partners with ECW, yeah. you know, we were helping fund their helping Paul meet his, uh, overhead. I think it was 50 K a month. I believe it was, uh, and it came out of my budget. So I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with that. Uh, and I also knew that the next wave of talents, some of them were going to come from ECW. So we had a, we had a, we had a fertile, uh, uh, you know, it's like they say on swamp people. We had a, we had a very fertile honey hole and, uh, we knew that those guys were there because they had a lot of good talent and, uh, it's been well-documented. So, uh, it was a little different ball game. We had an event, we had an investment in it. We, uh, and of course, at some point in time, when it came crunch time, you know, Vince would own the library, which he does. So I think it was a different business deal, Connie. Uh, but, uh, under any other circumstances, I would have been shocked about Vince allowing that to occur, but he knew he was, all he was doing was building another asset. And that's what we did with ECW. We built another asset and, and got some mileage out of it and had, had a couple of good pay-per-views. And, but the key thing is we restocked some of our shells to some degree with those talents. Another talent that you're going to be stocking. It's going to be Ken Shamrock. He signs with the company on February 24th. Uh, at the time, apparently he had been talking to both WCW and new Japan. Did you think Ken was going to be able to come in and make an immediate impact for you guys? If he was booked correctly. Yes, absolutely. He had a different style. And, uh, uh, I remember one of his biggest supporters that came to me because he'd heard it through the grapevine, you know, of course that's easy. Tell a, tell a wrestler it's easy, uh, telephone, telegraph, tell a wrestler. I think it's the old cliche. Um, I think, uh, you know, Kenny was well-respected by the boys because he was a tough bastard still is. Yeah. God dang it. I saw a picture of him the other day on Twitter. Hell, he looks like he's 40 and he's, he's probably in his fifties, maybe a little older. I don't know, but he looked great. Yes. He, he looked, ter- looked terrific. <laughs> so, uh, Owen Hart was a big supporter of that whole thing. And Owen of course saw not to be that he's this uh, great, uh, he was this great humanitarian. He was, but he saw a match. He saw matches between him and Shamrock, uh, that, you know, kind of the, had the dungeon feel, you know, from the, from the, from the Hart family home there in, in, in Calgary. 
So, uh, he had, Kenny had a lot of supporters and he was different. He had a little different game plan using a lot of submissions and things like that. He looked great. Uh, you know, Kenny's problem for us at that time, for me anyway, was, you know, some guys are meant to be on the road and some guys at certain points in their life are not right. And Kenny had some challenges being on the road, uh, oversleeping and, you know, things like that partying, you know, he was a, he was a, but I, I, I've never, I never had any really true issues with him. Uh, I had to find him five grand one time, I think for missing, uh, I think it was El Paso. He slept through his wake up call. People were beating on the door to wake him up by then. There wasn't a lot of flights into El Paso. I don't think there still are, but, uh, he missed the show and that, and that's, you know, that's just not, that's just unacceptable. I'm old school in that regard. You gotta go to work. Yeah. Go to work. I'd be on time and be ready to rock and roll. But all in all, Kenny was a joy to work with, you know, cause he, he kept guys honest. He didn't, he wasn't worried about a bunch of spots. He wrestled, he body parted your ass and it was kind of cool. So, uh. But Owen, I remember Owen being one of the Ken Shamrock's biggest supporters, and that helped get him hired. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Well, you said he body parted your ass. Let's talk about one of Shawn Michaels' body parts, specifically the knee. Uh, obviously, when he does his lost my smile speech, there are people who are really moved by that. There are other people who raise an eyebrow and say, or, this is all bullshit. Yeah, it wasn't. But I, that's the nature of the beast here. And if anything, in today's social media world, it's gotten even worse. Yeah. You know, the glasses, it seems like, a lot of fans enjoy engaging in a topic where the glass is somewhat half empty, not half full. And, uh, but that, that's just, a, that's, a, I think that's just part of our society right now, Conrad, you know, you look at what draws, what gets clicks. It's not the fact that, that, uh, so-and-so went to his kid's birthday party last week. No, unless it, it was Kanye it, it, West. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, right. the reality is if you go to TMZ.com. Not a lot of cheerful stories over there. Negative nope. is what sells. And that's always going to be that way. Unfortunately, yeah, that's, that's right. You're right. So let's talk about the Manhattan center show. What a show this is. Uh, most of the WWF talent is still overseas for a European tour. Even you yourself aren't at the show, right. but the big news coming out of the show is Ken Shamrock signing the road warriors returning. And then of course, all this ECW stuff. Meltzer was pretty critical though of having the Legion of doom wrestle an 11 minute match and not get a win over the headbangers. Instead, it's a double count out. Yeah. Mystery to me. Th this in hindsight is probably not the first impression people wanted from the road warriors. I mean, a generation prior, not even really that a decade prior, boy, they were squashing guys in a minute or two. And now we're having them go 11 minutes and not just beat the headbangers. And I'm not saying that. The headbangers didn't have an upside, but goodness right. gracious, this is one of the biggest box office draws in the history of wrestling. How quickly did you realize we don't have the old road warriors here? Pretty quick. 
Yeah. They were, they were, they were perceived differently. They were booked differently, but the one thing that, uh, still challenges me in my thinking is 11 minutes. I, I didn't like the, the road warriors should have won on their return. Yeah. I think we can all pretty much agree on that deal. And that's not taking anything away from the headbangers. They were very, uh, you know, they were put in that match because they were reliable and they were good workers. Uh, and both those guys uh, deserve that opportunity, but they should have, they should have done the honors and I, and they would have, if they'd been asked, it wasn't like a, they held up Vince and said, you know, we're not going to put the road orders over. That's a good way to find a door, the exit, the nearest one. So, uh, I thought it was the match is too long for their skill set and their act. Uh, you know, I want to see them play the hits and power moves, striking strong style, if you will, whatever the hell, but, uh, it was, that was mismanaged. I don't understand that. Uh, why, why that was done that way. It's just what Vince wanted. So there you go. So Mark Miro, unfortunately is going to tear his ACL. He's going to be down for six months, probably the worst possible six months. He could be down. Let's talk a little bit more about this Manhattan center situation though. Heyman and Lawler are really going back and forth with each other. Um, and it feels as if these guys have legitimate heat. They did. Can you talk to us about that? Well, there's just prior stuff. You know, I'm, I'm sure something occurred in Memphis, maybe a bad payoff or a bad booking and in, in somebody's eyes or whatever. Uh, I don't want to say they hated each other, but, uh, they were about as different as night and day. The only thing they had in common is that they were both amazing performers and, uh, and they both prided themselves in their verbal skills and rightfully so. Uh, so, uh, but they didn't like each other. And I, I think that worked, you know, uh, Heyman, I told him one time, and I think I said on the show, you know, uh, one of the great tr- attributes of a heel is to, that you're easy to dislike. Yep. You're, you're a good villain. I want to see you get beat up and whatever. And Heyman had that skill. He still does. He's the best. Uh, he's as good a talker as there is in wrestling. And he's certainly the best talker in a, in WWE, in my opinion. So, uh, but they didn't like each other a lot. They didn't exchange Christmas cards or have break bread. Uh, but you know, they, they, it was, it worked to me. I, I love that, that conflict. And of course, Heyman and I continued that same feel that people thought Heyman and I hated each other because of the combativeness of Paul with me on raw when Lawler left, but the, they were not buddies on Conrad. And I think it showed and it showed in a good way to me because they're not supposed to like each other. Right. Miguel Perez is going to come into the company here. We know he'll eventually become a part of the Los Bariquas, but Dan Severin is showing up in late February. Uh, according to the observer, he has a meeting at Titan towers. And I guess the timing of that makes you wonder, did Vince think the UFC talent was perhaps the new place to look for this next big star? He's now got Ken Shamrock under contract and now we're at least having a meeting with Dan. Do you remember there being consideration for there being more of a UFC style influence, or was it more about, we need Ken to have a big opponent down the line. We need Ken to have a big opponent down the line. And of course, Dan Severn was the kind of human being that you wanted to, uh, to do business with. Yeah. Uh, honorable professional was he is, did he have the sizzle and the skill set uh, in that sizzle world that, uh, Shamrock didn't know Kenny had more charisma. But Dan Severn has so many great qualities. If, even if, 
we had done the program, a long program, short program, whatever, but we built up to that big shamrock and Severin match. Uh, uh Severin still had a future there. He, he was going to put Kenny over, but, uh, I, I thought Dan would have been, you know, long, longer term player. I just, you know, it's just hard for some guys that, uh, have had those MMA like schedules. So they fight so many times a year to, uh, you know, to, to make it in on the back on the road, so to speak, all this regular schedule. <clears throat> so, uh, that was, uh, I don't think it was looked just generally at the MMA. We knew that look, Conrad, they had a lot of good looking athletes in the MMA. They still do USC, especially, uh, and you know, why not look at that pool of talent? Somebody's going to be unhappy. Somebody's going to need to make a payday and they, they already show you they're tough. And, uh, most of them are in great shape. So, you know, it's not a bad place to look, but, uh, because Shamrock and uh, Severin both had pro wrestling experience, they kind of moved to the top of the list and they had had, both of them had earned uh, a lot of, uh, they had a lot of name identity. People knew who the hell they were, uh, as opposed to bringing in somebody that, uh, you can't even pronounce their name. Well, let's talk about, uh, hypotheticals here for a minute, because after this Manhattan center raw, it starts to feel like, all right, we've definitely got our WrestleMania card lined up. It's going to be Brett and Austin. We know that we know, we know it's going to be taker and Sid, but we also know it's going to be the road warriors and Ahmed Johnson taking on the nation of domination. And that locally is even going to be promoted as the co-main event. We'll talk about that a little more later. I'm wondering. Does Shawn Michaels injury just create absolute chaos? Like this can't be the original plan. I think most of us as fans assume, well, it's going to be Brett and Sean in a rematch from 12, but I'm not sure how much chaos it creates outside of that. Like what would Austin have been doing if Michaels was healthy and we were going to get Sean and Brett, where would that leave Austin? Do you recall? You're a good question. I don't, I don't recall, uh, but he was certainly playing and figured in. Uh, to some, a significant spot and to continue his build, uh, and him continuing to get over what he did. And we wouldn't know the rest is history. Uh, you know, I clarified my stance on, you know, Steve and I talk, we don't talk a lot. Uh, but when we talk, we talk a long time and when we're still love each other, he's, a, he's like a brother to me. And, uh, that's not always worked out great to the other talents because I was very close to stone cold. But I knew early on, you know, from my, my years, the cowboy and the junkyard dog, you take care of your top guys. You do what you got to do to keep them happy and productive keyword. So I don't know who, who would Austin would have worked with, but it, it, it would have been hard to find an opponent. There are a lot of guys out there that he could have had a hell of a match with and done his thing. So, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think, I think Steve, uh, I, I meant, I was going to say it like corrected this thing last week because it got misinterpreted. And of course the clickbait and all the bullshit, I wish people would actually hear the whole sentence that I say, instead of just exercising <laughs> a, a soundbite, you know, it's just, it's just, it's aggravating because we know why they're doing it. And I'm sure the, their audience knows why they're doing it. They want you to click on their site. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Conrad, I, 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 I liked, uh, I, I, Steve was, was on the upper deal. There's nothing to stop him. So who, who is going to, who would he would have worked with? I don't know, but it would have been hard to get him booked. So let's talk about, um, the gate 
there's a lot of conversation leading into this that, Hey, even though WCW is, is firmly in control and they're winning the Monday night war uh-huh. based on ticket prices, WrestleMania could be the largest gate of 1997. When do you remember WrestleMania as a brand being what sold the ticket as opposed to the actual card? Is this the era or did it happen before or after this? Good question. I, I think they were kind of coinciding a little bit. Uh, you know, again, we were getting some, it was interesting. The dichotomy of the booking where you have a new guy like Austin, who you're going to push to the moon. And then, uh, uh, and then, then you got another, then he was fresh. Steve was fresh. The road warriors weren't fresh. They had not been gone that long. And, uh, they, they didn't, as the people kid me about, they didn't go away and learn a new hold. I, I want them to hear their hits. I said this one time about the rock and, and the, I think on that show last week with Kyoto and Paul Boutwell, who did a hell of a job with us that, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 we just knew what Austin was going to be. And we didn't have any idea the match was going to deliver like it did, but the road warriors weren't fresh. They, they were an attraction type addition. You know, they were never, uh, the days of Crockett when they were younger and, uh, the juice was flowing and all this other stuff, uh, you know, they could work. They did some nice work did the, did the road warriors in the, in the, in the long-term program, but those days were over. It's like bringing in Andre. You got to have a very special situation for Andre to have a program. Yep. And it's not, I think the same thing with the road words. They became an attraction, uh, an attraction is a different ball game than an everyday main event level wrestler. So, uh, we're in a really unique trying to figure out who, who all fits where, who's going to break loose. Who's going to continue to rise and sell merch and tickets and pay-per-views. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, the jury was out on a lot of things creatively and talent relations wise in this era. So raw on the third of March is on a tape delay from Germany. It's got an amazing match that you should go out of your way to see. It's the finals of this European title, uh, championship tournament. It's going to be Davey boy and Owen Hart, uh, British bulldog wins. Uh, Dave gives it a four and a half star match rating, really a phenomenal match. But what's most notable about this show is that Vince McMahon is not happy with the presentation. The usual WWF production standards are not there. And this supposedly sets into motion a series of events where allegedly somehow as Vince is frustrated and ranting about this and that Vince Russo gets a little more creative power as a result. What do you remember about that match about the production issues? And supposedly this, this meeting where Vince Russo comes out smelling like a rose somehow. I didn't understand the Russo element and how that fit in, uh, under those particular circumstances. It just feels like Austin, not Austin McMahon is just boiling over with frustration. He you know, was, he, he's frustrated that we're not winning the Monday night wars and that we're not that's as the profitable. Main, that's the, bo- that's yeah. the bottom line, Conrad. Yeah. You can stop right there. Yeah. We're getting our ass beat every week, 83 weeks in a row. Uh, and as we all know, and certainly on the ad free network, you know, cause that's <laughs> Eric, Eric's show. Right. So, yeah. but they, they, they earned their wins, uh, and they had something fresh and something new. 
even though it was not with new, it was not with rookies or, uh, or unknowns that burst on the scene. Uh, it was a different, uh, different feel, it, but it was new to them and the whole concept of Paul and Nash and, uh, how they, the outsiders and all this stuff it was a, it was a hell of an idea. And people said, well, you know, Eric got that from the Japanese who gives a shit, right? I don't care if you found it in little rock, it don't matter. He, he, he did it. He had the balls to do it. And, uh, and the talents involved in that takeover, uh, were very motivated to make, to leave their mark and make their mark as it were. So, uh, no, I, 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 I just don't, I don't know, man. I, I, the Russo, the Russo element that you mentioned is one that I'm not knocking Russo, it was, but it was, if that was the case. Uh, based on what you're saying then, and I didn't even ever look at it that way, but nonetheless, uh, the crew was always kind of iffy over there because <clears throat> they weren't our regular crew. There were some key members, but it was, it was a whole different uh, mindset and all that stuff. So I, that doesn't, that didn't surprise me that he was going to be displeased. I don't think he was displeased with the match, but unless Meltzer had something, some dirt, my God, he got dirt. Uh, so I don't know, man. I, I, I thought the match was outstanding thing and, and largely in part for Owen's generosity and, and unselfishness to his brother-in-law. So I, th I thought it was a good match, but yeah, the key element here, you can go back to that one thing I said earlier, just a few moments ago, the Monday night wars had McMahon in a stew that he never relinquished. He was always, that was always the topic of every day, the ratings. Well, let's talk about another piece of TV business here. The MSG network has been a staple for the company for a long, long time, but they air the house show on March 16th for the first time in years. And it's also the last time ever. Do you know what was happening? I mean, it was just television changing. Yeah. 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 That's what it was. And, and, uh, the MSG network had made up, they had a lot of obligations and new obligations. They were, they had, they, they had multiple teams that they represented on the network. So time available time was scarce. And, and as, but I think you said as, as simple as this, the TV landscape was changing and, uh, with some of those sports networks, their, their, their arrangements, their deals with their teams in their, in their marketplace, or like it would be the Yankees or the Mets or whatever it may be. Then of course, in uh, New York, you got all the hockey teams, you got basketball. I mean, they're, they're going to be packed. They got plenty of content. So I don't know if they really needed us, but, uh, I used to, when I was, uh, <clears throat> I was still working for cowboy, right? I used to watch on cable, the uh, MSG shows. I enjoyed the shit out of because it. it was a house show. It's basically produced like a house show. And I, I always enjoyed those shows, but, uh, I think it was just a matter of the changing landscape, the television market. So let's talk about TV here for a minute. Raw on March 10th features a pretty dramatic shift. At this point, raw is a staple amongst wrestling fans until nitro started winning all the time. This was the number one wrestling show in the world, but now here on March 10th, well, it's no longer Monday night raw. Now it's raw is war. You got a new stage. You got the big Titan Tron. You got the big pyro open. This is uh, a lot of cash, a lot of commitment. And Vince McMahon is sort of pushing his chips in here when revenues are down. So this feels like, you know, they say, uh, 
Necessity is the mother of invention. That's right. what this feels like. Hey man, we're losing our ass. And if yep. we want to pull the nose up on this thing, it's going to take a major commitment. I know it might not make sense financially for us to do this right now, but I think it's it, a necessary step. And here we go. Was that about right? It, yeah, that's about right. We, it, it didn't make sense financially at that time. Right. But, but, uh, Vince had a bit was willing to bite the bullet and upgrade the production. Uh, you know, I don't I remember numbers being bandied about, you know, how much it was a week to tape and all that. It was seven figures and all that. It's just uh, amazing. But he made a major commitment and a gamble. I equate it to uh, the gamble he did at WrestleMania one, where it had to hit or he was in trouble. Right. Financially big trouble. So, uh, uh, he, he fought, he, he, he did what he thought was right. And, and quite frankly, it worked out. He was right. He, that's what people wanted. They wanted live TV every week. Let's go. And, uh, so yeah, it was a interesting era. Big changes were made, big changes. And they were, and they weren't finished. They're were still to come around this same time. Something else pretty dramatic happens on the other channel. Dennis Rodman's going to become a part of WCW and the observer would report that this wasn't actually WCW's idea. Dennis Rodman had apparently received an offer from the world wrestling federation to be a part of WrestleMania to do something with gold dust. Now, this is a weird association in hindsight, but you have to understand the context. Dennis Rodman was showing up to his book signing in a wedding dress. So as we're trying to establish this WrestleMania theme of gold dust doing big stuff, we know what he did with the Hollywood backlot brawl the year prior with, uh, with Roddy Piper, Well, we're looking right. for another spectacle last year. We maybe leaned a little bit too far into the OJ Simpson stuff. Well, this year we'll lean into Dennis Rodman. Instead, Rodman loves Hulk Hogan, makes the call to Hulk Hogan. The agents get involved. Eric Bischoff closes the deal on the phone. And now all of a sudden, Dennis Rodman is not going to be a part of WrestleMania 13. Now he's going to be a part of WCW's program. He'll show up at uncensored, but he'll actually wrestle a match as a free agent later that summer for WCW and do bonanza business. How frustrated was Vince McMahon that he thought he had Dennis and it slipped through his fingers and damn it. It went to the competition. Yeah, it was, it was uh, frustrating for everybody because uh, we all had a thought that for a one-off, uh, one-time only appearance by Dennis, it would be a, uh, uh, a hit because he was kind of a lightning. He's polarizing. Uh, and so we were disappointed, no doubt, because it seemed like it's going to be a layup that he was, you know, he was what we needed for, for that attraction, for that Piper role of an outsider coming in. And doing his thing. So, uh, it was just, it was, uh, disappointing. Well, the big thing for me is that we've got this happening in the Chicago market. You know, Dennis Rodman is a bull. So this is going to be first page front page news all over Chicago, just two weeks prior to WrestleMania. That's really like an extra feather in the cap for Vince McMahon and, or Eric Bischoff. Is it not? Yeah. Good, good timing. Well, he knew that it would have an impact on various fronts did Eric and, uh, he was smart enough and aggressive enough and bold enough to make it happen. Simple as that. They, they paid Robin, I'm sure a lot more than Vincent and we were going to pay him. I'm guessing that, uh, it was an unknown. How's he going to react? How's he going to be? So, uh, yeah, it was, 
it was disappointing, but was it a deal breaker? You know, no, it was, a, it's, to me, it was always going to be a one-time deal. Now I know WCW got more than one out of Dennis, as you alluded to. Yeah. Did they, did all those others do as well? I don't know how all that panned out, but it was a successful investment for Bischoff and WCW with Dennis Rodman. Let's, uh, let's talk about Tony Atlas here. He's going to be featured on the show with Rocky Maivia. We're trying to set up Rocky versus the Sultan for the intercontinental title at WrestleMania. What was Tony's status with the company? And why did we have Tony here instead of Rocky Johnson? I don't know that, uh, what their working relationship at that time with, uh, Rocky Johnson and Vince were. I know they were, they, at, at, there was a period in that, that era that, uh, they had kind of fallen out of favor with each other. And the, generally the reasons of why, why did that happen? Well, the dirt, everybody is cash and creative. So <laughs> it's always the same shit, same thing. So, uh, and Tony Atlas was Rocky's tag team partner. Yeah. For the first African-American tag team chance in, in WWE history, I believe. So, uh, that made sense. So Tony fit there, uh, you know, and he looked, still looked amazing, but I think that was the deal the, the, everything was working toward how do we embellish the rock? How do we do more of the rock to get him over and to get him exposure, to get him established. And we thought that was a decent way of doing it. Put him in a tag with a veteran. And then, uh, getting some exposure there, he's going to shine like a diamond, no matter who he's with. Yeah. But we thought that story was going to make some sense. And at least it had a backstory and we could, that we could explain. So, uh, I think that's what that was, but again, never, never uh, underestimate why we did it. We did it because we wanted to do another, something good for Dwayne because we all believed see before our eyes that Dwayne Johnson was going to be a megastar. Nobody realized how big he was going to be. I certainly did not. Re- I didn't know he was going to become the biggest movie star in the world. Oh yeah. I knew that we were eating gravy one day at the diner in Florida between my bites of my Cuban sandwich. No, it was, you could tell it, feel it. You could feel it. That's, that's one thing I've been blessed with is the feel for certain talents. I think that where you say, well, this guy's got something. Yeah. I told you this before, Connie. I didn't, I didn't like to hire talents. My first priority was to hire talents that I thought in time and through evolution and training and, and nurturing that, uh, you know, uh, we would be, we, we, we could make this guy something special. And I didn't want to recruit people to open the show. You want to shoot. This guy could be a main event guy. This, you know, all this stuff that was kind of, that was the deal. And can you headline WrestleMania? And I always thought from day one, even sitting in that little, uh, little restaurant that, uh, that Dwayne and I fin- kind of finalized our deal with, uh, this guy's got it. There's nothing he doesn't have unless there's, uh, there's secret issues that I'm unaware of. I can't find it. He checks every box. So he checked all my boxes and luckily for everybody involved, it worked. It seemed like it worked out. Let's talk about, uh, well, a couple of little news and notes here. Yeah. Your old pal, Dr. Death was arrested on March 17th and at the Laredo, Texas airport for drug possession. 
uh, you guys aren't working together at this point, but boy, this has got to be some devastating news to hear about your old pal. Yeah. I took a big step backwards. Cause you know, we, I did all, I still believe that Dr. Death and, uh, and stone cold would have been a nice program. Yeah. Uh, I thought that would have been a match that people would have been, would have had interest in. They both had the same tough mindset. It'd been uh, get doc over. It would have been fairly easy, big athletic guy around 300 pounds that could move around and all that stuff, get him some wins, all that good stuff. And then of course, m- morph into later on a uh, program with Austin was money. But, uh, that said everything, all those plans are future after doc made a very poor, uh, decision, bad judgment. Uh, and I felt so bad for him. He did it himself. So I'm not feeling like the, well, the system got him or it was a, it was, a, it was a, you know, whatever. It was just a thing where he just, he made a bad, bad decision and, uh, he got busted and it could have been a lot of other guys getting busted. But it was on that day. It was him, and it was it was unfortunate and not good, not good at all. Your old bud Brian Pillman. He's going to be added to the color commentary duties on Shotgun along your side. What'd you think of Brian as a color guy? Thought he had a great future, and that's what I tried to convince him. I said, "You could be the next Jesse the Body Ventura. You can make a damn good living, make a lot of money, more than most of the more than a lot of the boys." Uh, and, uh, use your creativity and your timing. He had great timing. Did Brian, uh, had that unique voice, raspy voice from his cancer surgeries as a kid. So, uh, cause I, I thought, and I, I never said it to him in this, in a blunt way, but his wrestling career was essentially over when he had that ankle fused and all that stuff. It was, uh, I think that was around, I think I'm not getting my, my dates, uh, confused here. But, uh, I just felt like Brian, uh, the d- days to be a main event star, which he had to be in his mind's eye, uh, had kind of blown by him with, with, with him having nothing to do about it. He, he was, uh, it was a bad timing, bad luck, but Brian still thought he could wrestle. And, uh, you know, but I thought he had a chance to be a real good color commentator and that would have given him some, some, uh, stability, consistent checks learning a new skill set because Brian always had the mind like a booker. He always was creative and, and was thinking ahead and always had ideas and so forth. So him, uh, morphing into that color analyst role with a, with an edge, uh, to me was money, but he was never happy in that role ever. And I couldn't make him happy. I tried. I really did try. And I volunteered to work with him and I'd all that good stuff, but it just, he was, he was, he had one thing on his mind that was to get in the ring again and, and main event, big cards as a wrestler, not a broadcaster. Let's talk about this now infamous raw from Syracuse. It's headlined by Sid and Bret Hart in a cage match. Shawn Michaels is going to be out here doing an interview about how he's going to be a part of WrestleMania. Again, this is three weeks after he lost his smile. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, the end of the show though, is what's most notable. The show goes long. Uh, I guess there's an approved overage here, uh, or overrun, but we've got Brett versus Sid in a cage match for the title. And it ends when taker slams the door shut on Brett. And then Sid climbs out to retain the title. They go to commercial. And when they come back, that's the big story. Vince McMahon, who has only ever been acknowledged as being a commentator on the program is climbing into the ring to interview Brett. 
Brett shoves him down really hard. And that gets a big reaction. McMahon is selling it great. And Meltzer would say this during the heart turn Hart said, this is bullshit. After losing the Sid in the cage match, while he threw Vince McMahon to the ground, Vince, the master actor had a great glare at Hart. Hart said, if people were mad at him, tough shit. He also <laughs> used the word shit and, and, and McMahon after Hart had decked Pat Patterson called Brett a no good son of a bitch. So there's lots Ooh. of swearing. There's lots of curse words, but this is really the first time we've seen Brett as a heel or any sort of heel tendencies in years. He has been mm-hmm. the perennial baby face for the promotion, yep. but now he's cursing up a storm. And this feels like, in my opinion, maybe the first evidence that this is when the attitude era starts. What do you think of that? No, I think that's a, that's a good uh, summation. Uh, I can't think of any other singular moment that would speak to that point better than this one. Uh, the language used, uh, you know, Vince, uh, involvement as something other than a announcer. Uh, you know, I, I've oftentimes said, and I mean it, Vince McMahon was the greatest heel in the attitude era because he fits so well with the guy that made the attitude era stone cold and they're still doing business together. Yeah. It worked <laughs> so, out. You know, yeah. So it's good. You know, my issue with Steve, when we were talking, his apprehension about doing something at WrestleMania was not, uh, really, uh, anything more than his belief that he needed to maintain. He, he has to maintain his legacy. He's not going to go embarrass himself. And all that was yet to be determined. Cause you know, he had not prepared. He had a match 19 years ago, Conrad, right? What it was 19 years or 16, whatever it was 19, I uh, think. Yeah. Yeah. 19, I think. So it wasn't something he was working on and, and he's a perfectionist and, uh, his own worst critic. I can tell you this, no matter how great the attraction will be and the performance will be, which I fully expect it to be with, uh, Kevin Owens, who I like a lot and, uh, and Steve, no matter how, how, it, how it manifests itself, uh, it will, he will not be happy with it. Steve, he will, he will not, because that's just him. I've had, I've seen him go to the dressing room after shows where you go out and have one hell of a match on raw or pay-per-views or whatever. And him. I've never heard him say, yeah, that was a good one tonight. Right. We did, you know, it's just him. You can always be better. And maybe that's not a bad philosophy. So let's talk about some other news and notes, and then we'll jump right into the show. Uh, three pieces here. It's reported that Victor Canones had signed a deal with the WWF. What was Victor's role supposed to be at the time? And what do you make of the rumors that maybe he had, uh, I don't know, a, a family relationship somewhere within the company. Well, he was monsoon's adopted son. There you go. And, uh, they were partners in Puerto Rico territory. So there's that connection. Victor, I think was primarily brought in because Victor had, uh, contacts with a lot of Hispanic talent. And again, we're looking for new talent. Who's going to get over who's, who's new. That's going to, we could bring in that might catch, we might catch lightning in a bottle with. So, uh, but that was primarily Victor's uh, lot in life for us was being the liaison between, uh, WWE and, uh, the, the triple A's of the world and things of that nature. Cause Victor got around, you know, he was a promoter. Uh, he, he had his finger in a lot of pies and he knew a lot of people. So that was his primary deal. And I think Victor, it seems to me like I, 
it seemed like Bruce met Victor before me, but I worked so closely with Monsoon that Monsoon would oftentimes talk about Victor like a son. And he, he looked at him as a adopted son, uh, and not as close as Joey Morella, but, uh, in the, in that, in that same, uh, ballpark. So that was Victor's deal. He was, uh, wanted to, we wanted to get some high flying different to style, you know, a lot of sizzle, uh, Hispanic talent. And Victor was the place that we went to do our shopping. So before we get to mania, I want to talk about two other pieces of talent, Jake Roberts. He is, uh, let go and road dog is suspended for six weeks. What's going on with these fellas? Well, they couldn't follow the rules and, you know, and, and Jake had those demons that he, you know, thanks to DDP, he got passed and, uh, saved his life in my view. But that was a the situation there. You know, Jake had lost a step. You know, like we all have when we get older, uh, he still had a great mind. You know, you want to try to, if nothing else, you want to find a way for Jake to contribute creatively. He had great ideas, natural born booker, but his, uh, out of, out of ring scenario, uh, was not desirable for that role. So I think that's why uh, Jake got let go. And I'm assuming, I don't remember even at this time, I guess road dog, what did he do? Did he flunk a test? I assume this was a marijuana situation. Yeah. Well, I've got my specific opinion about that. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, do you want your guys out running around going to strip bars or going to the room and smoking a joint and eating a pizza? I know what I'm going to say. I can't say that as officially as a, the EVP of talent relations that I eventually became. But really in, in reality, they're on the road. They're going to do something. You can't make everybody become you know clean and sober and straight, uh, with a wave of a magic wand. Unfortunately, I wish it was that simple. So they're away from home. They do, they, they need a relief. So my theory was always not told some guys off the record, you know, why don't you just go have a joint order a pizza, Yeah. sit in your room, watch a movie. So, uh, it reminds me of, uh, uh, viscera telling me that he took Viagra to watch porn <laughs> and I don't know if he smoked pot, but, uh, he had his recreation. So you got to get guys something, some kind of escape. And that's an extreme example, quite frankly. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I, that, you know, Brian, I don't even, you know, not when you brought that up, I didn't even remember him getting suspended. To be honest with you. He had not risen to the level that he became as a member of DX. Yeah. He's not the road dog yet. I mean, he, no. he we're still a ways away from that. Right. But he's talented as hell. And, and, uh, you know, and he's like a lot of us, we had old habits. We had to break. So let's just remind everybody, um, there's another little piece of potential drama to bring up the cauliflower alley club did their thing in studio city, California on March 15th, eight yeah. days later is when WrestleMania is taking place. And while they're on stage, uh, Larry and his son, Kurt were both talking so highly about Vince McMahon. And as it turns out three days later, uh, he is in Titan towers. So on the 18th, again, just a handful of days prior to WrestleMania, Kurt is inside Titan towers. Mm-hmm. Now everyone believed that Kurt had already signed a deal or had a deal in principle with WCW to join WCW as a full-time wrestler. 
So when Eric Bischoff hears about this banquet and the, the visit to Titan, he reaches out to Kurt on the 21st, two days prior to WrestleMania. And apparently Kurt tells Eric, I'm just screwing with McMahon. Do you remember? I love that story, by the way. Do you remember there being, Hey, what if Mr. Perfect was a surprise at WrestleMania and it just didn't happen? Well, yeah, we thought he was still a hell of an attraction. Yeah. You know, and Kurt Henning could work. My God, he was great. Uh, did he eventually sign at that time with WCW? He did go to WCW. He never yeah. came back. It did feel like in hindsight, man, he's just messing with Vince here. Just make it. Well, he, he was messing with Vince is the story you tell Eric. Yes. Okay. Let's get that straight. You drive the price up by the, That's yes. Bingo. Yeah. There's your deal. Conrad, when it's not about the money, it's all about the money. Yeah. And so all Kurt did was to, uh, create a positive environment for himself to get more money and to, and to get that gig down and, and WCW and God almighty, look, you know, he, he was friends with hall and Nash and all those dudes, you know, Scott hall who we lost here just recently, unfortunately, uh, man, what a show of, uh, respect and, and admiration by the wrestling community and fans around the world for razor Ramon, AKA Scott hall or vice versa. It was amazing to me, heartwarming, quite frankly, I wish Scott was still alive just to enjoy that. Cause he would have been very proud of that opportunity and, and that scenario evolving. Uh, but all Eric did was, oh, excuse me. All that, uh, Kurt did was say the right things. He, he was a great worker, man. He knew, you know, he was born in the wrestling business. He knew every in and out and every button to push and the whole nine yards, but he was still a talented son of a gun. And, uh, you know, he, he played the, he played the, the both sides like a fiddle and he won. He got the money he wanted. I'm sure from Eric and he got the gig he wanted. So. It was, a. Uh, that's how that ended up. But yeah, we thought that Mr. Perfect had some, still had some, some fuel left, some gas left in the tank, Conrad, even though it, it might not have been as expensive then as it is now, <laughs> the, old ga- the old gasoline thing. But, uh, in any, anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it was, a, that was another, I don't say it was a, a stumble or, a, you know, we would have rather had had, we would rather have had Kurt on our team than see him go to the other side. Simple as that. Well, let's talk about WrestleMania. We're finally here. The show is well received by the readers. It got a 77% thumbs up. Uh, there's 18,197 fans in the building. 16,467 of them were paying fans for a total gate of $837,150. That makes it the largest gate for pro wrestling in the United States since WrestleMania 10. And the show opens with, uh, the black Jacks, man, what a great tag team they were. Taking on uh, Doug Furness and Phil LaFon, another incredible tag team against the Godwins and the Headbangers. The winner of this match gets a title shot on Raw. Now, that feels like something that would have happened on Raw and the title shots here, but whatever. It's a nice way to get four tag teams involved in a payday. A four way tag team match is probably going to be a little challenging to put together. But looking back, great talent. The Godwins, more than capable. The Headbangers, yep. very capable. Furnace and LaFon were just outstanding. And as a fan, I thought the blackjacks could be huge. I loved repackaging Bradshaw and Wyndham here. It checked a lot of boxes for me. What'd you think of these, this crew here? Good, good. Well, it's good nucleus of tag teams just to build around and from and, 
Uh, and then of course you always, the thing you always look at for, for at least that was my, my vision is that, uh, who's going to spin out as a single star. Yes. You know, you got eight guys there, you got four teams, you got eight guys are one of the eight going to break loose and become bigger than you perceive they could, could be, or would be. So, uh, but I, all those guys work, they're solid workers. You know, we were hoping that, you know, we'd, we were JVL was the kind of, was an unknown entity because he just kind of, you know, burst on the scene. And even though he'd been working a while, uh, but we, th- we were hoping that we could get some magic out of Barry. Cause at one time, Barry Wyndham was considered one of the top, you know, three or four workers in the world. Yeah. Uh, the headbangers always were team players, did a good job. Um, who else is in that match? You said, uh, the Godwins. Oh, the, yeah. I love the Godwins. You know, they're good guys. They work their gimmick. Well, so in any event, tag team, our tag team situation w- was not in bad shape. Like you said, it was not in bad shape. There were four good teams right there that you could, you could build from and add to, and maybe one spins out and become a big star. They, uh, don't have the best match. It's an elimination match, uh, to get the blackjacks and the furnace and the fawn out They're DQ'd and counted out. It comes down to the Godwins and the headbangers. Uh, Meltzer didn't love that. Gave it negative half a star. And up next, boy, this, uh, feels so weird with the benefit of hindsight. It's Rocky Mavia versus the Sultan for the intercontinental title. Now this is a long way from it being the rock and Rikishi, but here we are Rocky and Sultan. They go nine minutes and 45 seconds with honky tonk man doing commentary. They're showing Tony Atlas in the crowd watching. They also show uh, Lou Albano sitting next to Arnie Scotland at ringside. Golden. Yeah. There's a, there's a huge deal where we get to see finally. Rocky Johnson at the age of 55 coming to make the save doing his 1970s Ollie shuffle. Right. Um, Meltzer would say the post-match angle was one of those things that looked better on paper than it turned out to be. And he gave it a star and a quarter. Obviously these guys are destined for greatness, but it's probably hard to see it watching this match. Might be. Yeah, it might be. Well, again, we're just, we're trying to put things around Dwayne that he could build from. And having his father there, who was a hall of fame, eventually a hall of fame guy. Uh, and like, like I said, he and Tony Atlas, the first African-American tag team champs in WWE history. That's quite, a, that's, to me, that's a real cool accolade. Uh, but it was all about Dwayne. What can we do to put, you know, we put Dwayne with Sultan because Rikishi, uh, was their cousins, you know, as the legend goes. And, uh, we knew that Rikishi being a skill worker and wanting to get over himself. And he was under that mask gimmick, uh, even though his body kind of gave him away, uh, under the cloak of hood, the hood and the mysterious Sultan, uh, we knew he'd take care of Dwayne and we needed to make sure that was happening. So there was a rhyme and reason for all that stuff. But again, it was all about working back toward Dwayne to get him over and uh, establish us a huge star to be again. Nobody can tell you they, Oh, I knew all along, right? Bullshit. They know what, how could you know he's going to become the biggest movie star in the, in the world? And look at all these tentacles. Now he's got a, he's a, he's a, he's a guy that he's bigger than us steals. I said, and the gangster movies. <laughs> so anyway, that was, that was, everything was about, all about building Dwayne. And, uh, was that the right way of doing it? And now in hindsight, we could pick apart any angle 
any storylines easy, but, uh, it was all about him. And I thought that was, uh, what a bad way to get, to get him kind of starting to roll a little bit. Next up Hunter Hearst Helmsley is going to pin gold dust in 14 minutes and 28 seconds. Smeltzer would say the match started off hot. These guys are both better than average workers, but for some reason, considering how hard each is pushed, they just have no chemistry in the ring with each other. Now, as a reminder, China is now a part of the presentation. We first saw her the previous month at the pay-per-view in Chattanooga, but she was this mysterious woman. She attacks Merlena the second time. And that's when we learn that her name is China. And of course it happens again here. China goes after Marlena. Goldust goes for the curtain call. Helmsley gets out of it. Then he tries to set up the pedigree, but Goldust escapes that. Uh, now Goldust finally has the curtain call set up, but he sees China going after Marlena and he pulls her to the apron. Helmsley comes from behind with a neat eye to Goldust who then crashes into Marlena. Marlena flies into China's arms. So of course, China is just ragdolling Marlena in a bear hug. That allows Helmsley to hit the pedigree for the pin two and a quarter stars. These guys worked so many matches in this era. Do you agree with Meltzer that they didn't have the chemistry you might expect? No, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure what he was looking for. Uh, and it may be just the field his instincts. I'm not sure about Dave in that regard. I thought they had good chemistry and they, I, I, I thought all their matches were, were solid to good stories but there was never a personal issue there. You know, I know that Scott Hall, we were talking about or mentioned, he didn't like the character. Didn't want to work a gold dust because of the homosexual homophobia like angle. The wrestling business had never seen an angle built around homophobia since gorgeous George. And that was gorgeous. George whole stick was, you know, being, uh, funny or whatever the word back in those days were. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, some guy, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea. I liked the Goldust character a lot. I thought Dustin pulled it off like a chant. Uh, but, uh, I think that, uh, as far as the chemistry, I just remember those guys have big stinkers. Conrad, do you have big stinking matches? I don't no. remember that. No. So, but I disagree with Dave on that, but look, it's an opinion. I don't hate him for disagreeing with not having the same opinion as me or you. He has a right to that, but, uh, I don't happen to agree with it this time. Coming up next, it's uh, Owen and Davey boy retaining the tag titles, going to a double count out with Vader and mankind in 16 minutes and eight seconds. So Vader, you know, not too long prior to this was maybe figured in to be one of the top players. And we know that he's out and Sid is in. It is interesting to think about maybe this main event would have wound up being Vader taker, but it didn't happen. Yeah. Mankind has been with the company for a year at this point. He debuted the night after WrestleMania 12, and now he's going to be here in a tag match considering he too had had a bunch of main events with not only Shawn Michaels, but mostly the undertaker. It's a bit of an odd pairing to see them as a tag team here because they're heels. And they're taking on other heel tag teams and yeah. Owen and Davey. what do you think of this booking? Uh, it was awkward, a little bit awkward. I mean, there's star power to galore. That's kind of what you look for, I guess, in a, in a, in a large sense, when you don't w- go into a, a sh- an event with a big program and a, and a buildup and a backstory. And these guys didn't have a significant long-term backstory, but there was a lot of sizzle, a lot of star power for that matchup. 
And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was at least two and a half stars. That's what Melster gave it. But I thought it might be better than that. Uh, there's a lot of cool things that happened in that match, but, uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't wild about the, uh, the, the double count out. I don't know that, that that's like kissing your sister and all due respect to sisters around the world, but that's the old cliche. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a kissing your sister finish. It's like a ball game ending in a tie. And that's why professional sports has tried to come around where you don't have ties. You have winners and losers. I, I got to tell you, that's one of the great Jim Ross lines of all time right there with all due respect to sisters around the world. What a great line. <laughs> you know, we're, we're four matches into this WrestleMania and boy, it doesn't feel all that special, but it's not bad. It's just not blow away. And then yep. this happens. Match number five is what it's all about. Uh, I just want to, this match, if you do one thing this week, and by the way, folks, we hope you enjoyed AEW dynamite last night. We still get to hear Jr. do his thing. He's still the voice of wrestling. We hope that you're going to check out Friday night rampage, but man, if you're looking for something old school, something yeah. that we all grew up on, something that's like as Americana as apple pie, go back and watch Brett and Austin. It's the fifth match. They go 22 minutes and five seconds. I would even say it's the best 22 minutes of wrestling you could watch this week. No do no disrespect to any of the current stuff that's happening, but my goodness, this was magic. It was special. It gets all five stars and it's really unlike anything else that we had ever seen in a WrestleMania. We've seen a lot of matches. This is a fight. They brawl all the way through the crowd. There's a special guest referee in Ken Shamrock. It is that double turn. There's the iconic moment where Austin's trying to power out of the sharpshooter and the blood is streaming down. Is this, where does this rank for you, Jim, as far as best matches you ever had the luxury and, and pleasure of calling at WrestleMania, it would be, I can't think of anything that topped it. It would yeah. be the, you know, it'd be sitting in the one hole or the one, a, I'm trying to think of something that I could, I could give you better. And I know we just did the rock and Hogan, which is rock and Hogan was a, was a great attraction. Yes. We talked about attractions a while ago and a difference in being an attraction wrestler and being an everyday in the lineup guy. Uh, but man, I, I, I don't know what, it, what it would be. I'm trying to think of what, what, maybe what, what am I missing? What am I leaving out? I thought, uh, uh, taker and Sean at WrestleMania 25, one of my, you know, was really good. That, that would be the only thing I could think that would be in that same vein. And, and I don't yeah. mean to cut you off, but I want to tag in about WrestleMania 18. Mm -hmm. If you go watch Austin or not Austin, if you go watch rock Hogan a few years later at WrestleMania 18, but you watch it without the sound, it's not that good. It's the, <laughs> it's the environment. It's the crowd. It's them. Crowd, yeah. it, the, the crowd really was the star of that. They made the match feel so much bigger. So, so special. But you could yeah. watch this one on mute. Now you shouldn't do it because JR's calling his ass off. But you could watch <laughs> this one on mute and the and it's still phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but it's it's less about the crowd and more about the work, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. And uh, the star of the WrestleMania 18, in all due respect to Dwayne and and uh, and Hogan, was the crowd. Yeah. They they created the environment that those guys were smart enough and attuned enough, paying attention enough to, uh, embellish what they were hearing, what they were getting. They, they, they fit right into the, to the crowd's enthusiasm and the fact that Hogan was being cheered as a baby face and rock was, if there, if there, if there was a heel in the match, it might've been Dwayne simply because 
people were there to see the Eagles and hear them play hotel California. Yeah. And that's what they got from rock and Hogan. They got Hogan to play hotel California and it, people loved it and the right guy won and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this is a different animal that we're talking about here. This was a masterpiece, a wrestling masterpiece. If you're a talent watching our podcast, I know a lot do, and we appreciate everybody watching, obviously, uh, you can learn a lot by watching this contest. Yeah. You can learn. It's a great, to, it's a great t- teaching tool. You can watch the sound down, sound up, whatever, but you, you're, if you're a talent and you're a worker, uh, in today's marketplace, this match at WrestleMania 13 still stands the test of time and it would be, it would improve your game if you studied it and understood why, uh, Steve and Brett were doing what they were doing. Cause it was, it was a symphony. It was really tremendous to me. Go out of your way to see it really, really a special match. But what's interesting is what happens at the end. As we mentioned, Austin's got that blood streaming down his face. He's in the sharpshooter, but because of the blood loss and the pain, he passes out. So Ken right. Shamrock calls the match and Brett gets a big baby face pop for that. But then Brett's not done. Brett keeps attacking Austin's knee after it's over. After Austin's unconscious, he's attacking a guy who's just prone and vulnerable and the fans start to boo. And all of a sudden now Austin wants to get up on his own and, and walk back on his own. And thanks to your words and the reaction from that crowd, this is to this day, the most famous double turn in history. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been, I got in the wrestling business, Conrad in 1974. Uh, so I've been around a long time for better or for worse. Some people's estimation I'm assuming, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I just. Uh, that was the, that was the, that was the exclamation point in the whole damn story and what Brett did after the show, after the match was over yeah. that completed the, that completed the double turn. So if you're wondering where during this match, did Brett, where did the double turn take place in reality? And for my judgment, it was the masterful work of Brett Hart after, uh, he had got the win. I just, uh, I thought it was perfect. And that there's where the double turn was completed. So the next big piece of this, we should mention is after Austin is revived, he's still selling the knee big time. He gives a referee, a stone cold stunner. He limps to the back (laughs) and the crowd is chanting his name. Meltzer would say, this is one we'll remember for a long time. One of the absolute best matches of all time. And we're still not done coming up next is the Legion of doom and Ahmed Johnson taking on Farouk crush and Savio Vega. It's a Chicago street fight. And of course, Chicago is the mm, kayfabe hometown of the road warriors. So they get a big pop locally. This was promoted as the co-main event or the semi-main event. Yeah. Because of the road warriors. Yes. You just hit the nail on the head. Chicago road warriors synonymous. And, uh, but they weren't the same road warriors that, that the Chicago audience had grown up idolizing. And I, and I don't know how, you know, having Ahmed there was tough. You know, he was probably not really ready, uh, but they look great coming to the ring. What an impressive group. So the main event here, the co-main event, we've got lots of, uh, 
crazy weapons and stuff, nightsticks, trash cans. But the thing that gets everybody's attention is the fire extinguisher. Now, as the story goes, there's two types of fire extinguishers and they use the wrong one. And as a result, ringside is a mess and probably hard to call commentary with. What do you remember about this? Uh, oops. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, uh, well, you know, it's a, that's one of the great things about doing this show. You know, I'd forgotten about this fire extinguisher, to be honest with you. It's not something I recall in my front of mind awareness, uh, every day, but yeah, it was, uh, oh, that was the wrong, wrong piece of equipment. Uh, and it did, it, it disrupted things somewhat, but the match is only going to be what it was. I mean, that sounds really f- funky, but that's the truth. It was just, you got all these elements. You got, you got six movable parts, uh, and you got some green in there. And I, I don't know who this match is. I guess you, if you want to just cut it down to the nitty gritty, this match was all about getting Ahmed Johnson to have a positive experience and, uh, to help get him over. So, uh, that's my take on it. I and mean, you didn't do the match to get the heels over the, the Legion of doom, uh, was a great, uh, rub for Ahmed, but I think this match was basically booked to get Ahmed Johnson, uh, to continue to move upward. And he does, uh, what a visual it is. Uh, after the match, Ahmed gives D'Lo the Pearl river plunge and, uh, he, uh, he and animal put Wolfie D and Jamie D on their shoulders and set them up for Hawk to come off the top and do the doomsday device, a doomsday device to both at the same time, three and a half stars here. And now it's time for our main event. It's only a seven match show here for this WrestleMania. It's going to be undertaker and Sid, but boy, right. there's a little news right beforehand. Shawn Michaels is going to be coming out and getting the big ring entrance. He's going to be out for commentary, but right in front of the camera, he holds his jacket open to maybe shield it from Vince McMahon. who's at the commentary desk and throw up the Wolfpack sign, which of course is something Kevin Nash and Scott Hall have been doing a lot on nitro mm-hmm. to the point that the next day on nitro, when Kevin Nash is making his way to the ring, as he's coming down the aisle, he gets right up in the camera and throws up that same Wolfpack hand gesture and says, HBK right back at you. How does this, I mean, Vince McMahon has to feel like this is a little I don't know, thumbing his nose to him personally, is it not? Yeah, a little cheap shot, a yeah. little cheap shot, taking advantage of the, of the, of the, the atmosphere, the place and the time. And it wasn't in my opinion, still to my opinion this day, it was unnecessary. Yeah. It was unnecessary. It was just showing out, flexing some muscle in that regard. Uh, you know, Sean knew how valuable he was to the company and he knew that he could probably get away with just about anything is it related to Vince? Cause Vince loves Sean. And cause Vince always said, he reminds me of me when I was young, defiant, you know, anti-establishment and all that good shit. So, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Conrad, I think, uh, I I don't think it was, I don't think it was necessary whatsoever. I don't even, what, what did it do other than us talking about it right now? It didn't help the match. It didn't help either guy's cause. I don't think so. Unnecessary, but, uh, not totally shocking either. So before the match gets started, Bret Hart comes out again, 
He's yelling at Shawn Michaels. He's calling him a pussy and a faker. He yells at the undertaker saying when he slammed the door on him last Monday, he slammed the door on their friendship. He told Sid that he knows I, I, I'm the real champion. Sid winds up power bombing Brett and they take him out and then the match starts. So as if you weren't sure this is a double turn, it's definitely a double turn. Um, the match kind of is what it is. It's probably exactly what you would expect from a Sid match. It gets a star in a quarter. Uh, the match ends with Hart and undertaker glaring at each other. And Meltzer says they've done an incredible job this year, destroying the credibility of the title with all the run-ins and screw jobs in every title match, which probably explains why the title matches mean so little in the television ratings. Uh, maybe not the best WrestleMania performance for a main event. It was going to be hard, no matter what you did to follow yep. Austin and Brett, at least the road warriors and Ahmed could use a lot of, uh, I think you would call it garnish some Gaga, some trash. Yeah. Uh, but this is just a, a, a regular wrestling match. It is a big moment for undertaker and certainly undertaker fans, but as the story goes, I can't believe this is real. Apparently the rumor was Sid shit his pants in this match, Jim. <laughs> I heard that. I didn't smell it at ringside, but I heard it. Uh, you know, I don't, yeah, the, Hey, you got to wonder how many times that's happened in you know, reality. A lot. A, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Conrad, did you ever have the, your, a bowel issue where you're afraid to fart? Oh yeah. I think we've all trusted the wrong one too. I, I trusted yeah. the wrong one at a red light in Scottsboro, Alabama, about four years ago. <laughs> and I've never made it to Huntsville so quickly in my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, uh, mother nature wins every single time. Bless her heart. Uh, so I would heard that story to be honest with you. Uh, the, after the show, the only thing people were talking about wasn't Sid taking a dump in his tights. No, it was Austin and, uh, Brett. They stole the show. They stole the show big time. And, uh, they showed you what you could do if you had a great, uh, you know, uh, you had great chemistry and you, and you're unselfish and you told a good story. They connected all their dots. And I, you know, normally, uh, as the old saying goes, we've talked about it here. I never really understood exactly why it's this way, but it's, it's been this way. Certainly for me, since I got into business in the seventies, uh, that the heel calls the match. So the heel is the, is a conductor. He's the, he's a, he's in charge of the symphony. Uh, and, uh, if that's the way it was in this match, uh, of course, Steve had his input, no doubt about that. You could tell that by watching the match. Uh, but if that was the case. Uh, Brett did a hell of a job of orchestrating that contest. And that's why I say if wrestlers today or fans today, go back and look, uh, you'll see, you'll get an education of a double turn and telling them an amazing story in the, I think, what'd you say? The fifth match on the show. Yeah. And we only had seven because there's going to be some time used, uh, and Brent's is going to give Brett and Steve, whatever time they wanted. And then take her course to get the same courtesy. Taker's situation was he didn't need to go 20 something minutes with Sid in my, my, in my, in hindsight, right. Which is, which is going to be very 2020 ish. So, uh, what everybody was talking about, uh, no dumping of tights. It was, they were talking <laughs> about, uh, that damn, that match, which we all knew we may never see something as perfectly executed again in our, in our careers. And to this day. I have never seen a match 
that was more, uh, better, that was better executed in my entire career than, than, uh, than Brett and Steve. They, it was perfect. I don't know what they could have done any different to make it any better. Cause you can always go back to the match and say, man, if they'd have done that, I didn't like that spot that kind of took me down, took me out of it or whatever. Never did that. There's never a disconnect. So, uh, again, it's an incredible performance that we all can learn from no doubt. It's my favorite match ever. I'm glad we got to talk about it today. Before we wrap things up, we've got a ton of fan questions. I don't think we'll get to all of them. Let's hit a few here. I'll hurry. Michael, Michael wants to know, did you almost piss yourself when that two by floor went, when that two by four went flying out of Hawk's hands and into the crowd? Yeah. Uh, I was worried that somebody got hurt. Yeah. You know, that was that deal. That's just carefree and crazy. That's a good word. Carefree and crazy. It might be a t-shirt. Uh, yeah, it was a little, little anxious moment to say the very least. And it certainly wasn't planned. And luckily nobody got hurt. Justin Davis wants to know, was Brad excited about the heel turn or did he need some convincing? No, it, a lot of that was his idea. A lot of it was Brett's idea. Brett was not going to do anything of significance that he wasn't comfortable with, but he created this atmosphere of a, of a heel turn and a heel Brett Hart, uh, fabulously. So no, he was uh, on board, hundred uh, percent. And he also, again, created to a lot of that creative. I mean, he was, he was in there. He had a lot of ideas. He had a lot of, a lot of the things you saw were Bret Hart's ideas. So no, he was cool with it. Adam, uh, one of our supporters over at adfreeshows.com wants to know what was USA network's response to Brett's expletive laden promo after the steel cage match on the raw leading up to the show. Did Brett have any input on this post-match promo, or was it just one more piece to add to the heel turn? No, I think it was one more piece to add to the heel turn, but I don't know that, uh, the reason that it was that, that we got this scooted skated by, I guess, was the fact it was on so late. You got to remember what time of the night it was at that point in time. And the network was a little bit more lenient than we wouldn't have done that in hour one in the first segment. We did it late at night. Uh, but again, people got to understand Brett was so well-respected and, and, and his opinion was so valued he didn't do anything that he didn't feel was the right thing for the, for the story or the business or his angle or whatever. But he was, uh, he was all, he was fully on board with all the, uh, with the, uh, turn. He thought it was time and he knew in Canada, which was his primary focus he's still going to be a baby face. So who loses? Nobody who wins everybody involved getting a payoff. Here we go. Um, we're at the end of the show where we're going to preview what we're doing next week. But before we do, I want to mention something that you and I've been working on for a little while behind the scenes. It's adfreecares.com. What we've decided to do, Jim, is we're going to donate 100% of the proceeds from all of our t-shirt sales this year directly to St. Jude's children's hospital. Yeah, that's great. It's something that is important to you and I, and we're so excited that first of all, we've lowered the prices of all of our shirts. All of our shirts are 17 99. We receive not $1 of that. 100% of it goes directly to St. Jude's. So all these fun shirts that we've got, uh, throughout our entire grilling JR run, they're now 100% going directly to St. Jude's. So you get a cool shirt at a great price, cheaper than ever. But 100% goes directly yep. to St. Jude's. How cool is that, Jim? 
it's awesome. You know, I, I, uh, I know that sometimes people criticize the, uh, at the TV spots because there, there's so many, uh, on some networks, uh, supporting St. Jude's children's hospital. Uh, you know, no family ever gets a bill. These kids are, if you watch the, if you watch the video, I watch those commercials, like it's an infomercial or it's a documentary or something. I, I, I'm so lucky. My daughters are healthy. My granddaughters are healthy. We're all lucky in that regard. We could say that, but, uh, man, these kids are fighters and, uh, this is such a great service for their parents. You know, it's, it's hard to, it'd be hard for me to check in, uh, to go to Memphis and, and, and check in there and, uh, and put my child in the hospital with, with, with cancer for cancer treatments. It's just, uh, sh I shudder to think how that even, how that even happens, but thank God that St. Jude's children's people do a, a phenomenal job of helping these families and supporting these kids. And that's really what it's all about. You know, at some point in time in our lives, you got to stop long enough to give back something. And so if it's a matter of buying a t-shirt that you're going to wear anyway, uh, which we appreciate, I think there should be more JR t-shirts on, uh, in the crowd at AEW. Yeah. Why not? You know, I can, I can pat myself on the back without breaking my arm, uh, ego wise, but I love the, what we're doing there. I think it's just wonderful. And I hope folks will take advantage of it. And again, they're going to say, well, they're trying to get us to buy something else. Well, yeah, we are. Well, you're right. But we're, you're getting a product that's very, very, it's priced below market value. And the, knowing that all the proceeds are going to the St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis, uh, couldn't be a better cause. Could not be a better cause. So help us out, folks, in that deal. Good, it's a good stuff, Conrad. Do something nice for somebody. Check out adfreecares.com. Yeah. Again, all the shirts are cheaper than ever. And 100% of the proceeds goes directly to St. Jude's. And, uh, I'm fired up about next week, man. We're talking WrestleMania 23. Donald Trump is here. Vince mm -hmm. McMahon is here. We've also got John Cena and Shawn Michaels, Batista versus, uh, undertaker streak and your hall and fame induction the night before. Lots to talk about for WrestleMania 23. That's next week. Between now and then, though, I'm going to grill at least twice with your famous seasoning, <laughs> buddy, from jrsbbq.com. I love you, Conrad, for that. And uh, we love the folks that are checking us out, going on the site, just looking around. You know, I this weekend, I'm in Oklahoma right now, obviously, as you can kind of tell, uh, in my office in Oklahoma. I haven't been here since October, so I really miss my place. Uh, tough week to be home alone. Cause, uh, on, uh, March 20th is the date, uh, five years ago that Jan got killed. So she, uh, it's a tough week to be here, but I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Cause I feel her, and her presence. I look around and all these pictures, and the mantles and the, and the rolling stones and all these things I've got here was perfect. Were they were that was her deal. She did it because she knew I love Mickey Mantle and John Wayne and, and and things like that. And, and so my office is cluttered with photos. We could do a show about this, this stuff if we wanted to. Uh, and, but being here without her on the week that she died is a little poignant for me, but I'm a big boy and I've gotten used to her not being around, but being in this actual house and not in Flo at Florida on the beach, uh, is challenging. So it's, a uh, it's just hard to believe she's been gone five years. It just doesn't seem like it could happen. 
her death didn't seem like it could happen to be honest with you. So, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm having an inter- interesting week to say the very least, but, uh, that's part of the track, the, tra- the trails we travel Conrad, you know, it ain't always going to be a great day, but you can still rebound and kick out and make it a great day. And that's what I try to do every day, especially since this cancer thing and all that stuff, you get challenged at places you don't even expect to have challenges. So anyway, it's all good. And, and I, I, I'm that's, and one of the reasons of, of, uh, that I really appreciate people visiting our site, jrsbbq.com is, you know, we got great packages. We've got some great gifts ideas. I, this week, I was going to say, when I got home this week here in Oklahoma, I signed, uh, probably five or eight cases of books because I've been gone and people had ordered books for the sign. And you know, we do, we personalize our books. So if you want one that says, you know, you, you, you can, you can request what you want me to say, and I'll do it more often than not, unless it's just vile and horrible. I may make an amendment, but, uh, I sign, still sign the books and, and, uh, I appreciate everybody's business and support. You know, we're going to do another book. We, like I said, we hope it comes out in uh, 2024, uh, which would be my 50th year in wrestling. And it may be that this, that's about the time I need to think about saying, Hey, it's really been fun. And I love all you guys. I won't be disappearing. I'll still be doing working with Conrad on stuff, but maybe that's time to tag out. I mean, God dang, how much work you can a redneck eat. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, uh, the book is, is starting to come together and I think we're going to call it JR 50. So, uh, and then a lot of stories to tell and. I got Paul O'Brien back in the saddle to do the writing and he's brilliant. No doubt about it. You know, uh, so interesting times are coming up, but they still made better with a good old outdoor barbecue or cooking something indoors. And that all purpose seasoning can be used in so many different ways. It's just a magic dust to say the least. Yeah. And then all the sauces and stuff that we have. And of course the, the, the hottest seller we got is JR's original. And that's the one that, uh, mom and mom really created and then Chan kind of enhanced. So it's good stuff. But if you need a gift for a wrestling fan, or you just want to, you like to use barbecue sauce or chipotle ketchup, the mustard's still healthy. It's got, I think one gram of sugar. So if you're trying to watch your sugar intake, uh, the, uh, mustard is great, a great option for you. So, and as I say all the time, Connie, uh, other than thank you for, for us being able to do this is, uh, it don't cost nothing to look. That's right. Check it out. And, uh, we appreciate that. That's the first step. And that's one we appreciate. So jrsbbq.com. my buddy, Stephen link, who runs the, who runs our site there and, uh, my operating his partner's been sick. He's had uh, viral pneumonia. So we got a little bit behind on some orders, but we're catching up. Good thing that we have orders. And that's why I was happy to get all those books signed and, I'm going to be back here next week and we're going to sign, hopefully sign some more books. If they're ordered, we'll get them done and, 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 and back in your hand. So it's all good. And you know, the thing about this too, because of shipping the, we can send a book internationally. So if you're listening to this and you're saying in Liverpool, where I'm going to be in you know, several weeks, a few weeks, we can get you a book shipped. Uh, and because it's not food, it's not beef jerky. We never talk about the beef jerky. It's one of my top sellers and just 
it's hard to keep it in stock, but, uh, that's kind of where I am. I I'm, I'm very blessed and very happy that we we started this business. I just want to see it grow. And, uh, that's kind of what we're doing right now. Just watching it grow. And it's all because of you guys. So we, I thank you for that. Well, we've had a lot of fun, uh, on the show today and hope you guys have as well. We hope you'll check out AEW dynamite this next week. Jr. still doing his thing each and every Wednesday on TBS and next week, man, it's WrestleMania 23 here on Thursday. And then WrestleMania nights one and two, another two night WrestleMania happened next week. Uh, it sounds like a great opportunity to throw down on some barbecue or anything else with that all purpose seasoning people using yeah. it for everything. It's at jrsbbq.com. Of course, you get all of our shows early and ad-free <laughs> over at adfreeshows.com. And we put together JR and Mike Kyoto to relive WrestleMania 18 and the magic that Hulk Hogan and The Rock uh, gave us that night. Go check it out, adfreeshows.com. Jim, this was a lot of fun, man. I'm looking forward to doing it again next week. WrestleMania 23 on deck right here on Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thank you, Conrad, for all your great work. And, uh, we'll come back and kick some more ass here next week, everybody. Uh, but in the meantime, we definitely are grateful for your support. So keep watching, keep telling your friends about our program. And, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again here next week. Good old Conrad. See you, everybody. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.